God damn it, really? Hey, everybody, welcome to I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay. With me, Bob Schneider, and your other host, Clint Wells. You're welcome. Dude, remember the golden, olden days when we used to do this on Instagram? And every time I was just like, kind of, I would kind of dread it. But now we don't do that anymore, and I don't dread it. Why'd you dread it? Just because of the interactive nature of Instagram. Yeah. I knew there'd be some looky-loos that would want to be getting in on the chat. Some looky-loos. And this is just this is just you and me hanging out. I mean, with our friends, of course, on on our podcast, but you know, there's no uh <clears throat> there's no chance that we're going to get interrupted if we go real deep. You know, I, I think we like to make ourselves available to our listeners, but that usually happens in Patreon land. And I think if out here, outside the igloo, I think we just keep building the beautiful world we build. And, and uh, if people want to come inhabit that world, they're welcome to. But I think the IG Live was get, got a little, is getting murky because we just need to be building our world. Yeah, the IG world was, you know, there was no telling who was going to be there. Now, I definitely feel like Kevin Costner's Field of Dreams. But the only people that I want showing up in that cornfield are legendary Hall of Famers in the baseball world. Here's what I don't want showing up there. Riff Raff. And guess what you had on Instagram? The Riffy Raff. I'm cool with Riff Raff. I just don't want to deal with it. That's all. No, dude, I'm not cool with Riff Raff. Because I'm Riff Raff. You know, I'm, <laughs> no, you're not. I'm a fan of things. A friend of mine had a story about meeting Matt Sorum, who we met once, you and I, when he was playing yeah. that Camp Freddy gig. Mm-hmm. And it was actually at the same venue, I think, the Moody Theater in Austin. And he this guy's a huge Guns N' Roses fan. He somehow got backstage to meet what was what was left of Guns. I don't remember when this was. But he was in this room he, and he had a major hookup. Like Duff's manager he was really tight with, used to manage him. So he had a pretty insane hookup. So he's right. in like a room that normal people don't go in. And it wasn't like a fan room. It was like a friends and family room. And he's just sort of awkwardly not germing out, b- being very cool because he's a musician. He knows what to do. And Matt Sorum pokes his head in and then leaves. And then he heard Matt Sorum yell down the hall to presumably a tour manager. Can we get the fucking riffraff out of that room? <laughs> Talking about my buddy. <laughs> he was the only one in there. Right. So he became riffraff to Guns N' Roses, his heroes. That's never fun. Also, don't sneak into the room uninvited. He didn't sneak in. He was invited. Oh, he was? Well, his his manager was Duff McKagan's manager. So he was very much a guest, but Matt Sorum didn't knew, know that. And guess who has final say over Duff McKagan's manager? Matt Sorum, the drummer. <laughs> the hmm. bass player's manager does not get to trump whatever the fucking drummer of Guns N' Roses wants. You know? Sorry. In the hierarchy of rock and roll, bass player's manager does not rest above drummer i feel like you're reading uh, rotten tomatoes or something no i'm i'm uh, i'm trying to listen i'm trying to concentrate but i'm also i i just got this stream deck which i can use as a soundboard and i was hoping that i'd be able to use it on our podcast today but you can't hear this right no anyways that's applause and uh, i've got all kinds of sound effects which i was gonna pepper the show with to make it mm, you know how like a chef will take a beautiful piece of meat. I feel like I'm okay. You're okay. Is like this aged to perfection piece of beef that's been sitting out for 60 days. And 
basically what I was going to do is I was going to sprinkle some freshly ground pepper and salt, coarse sea salt, with these stream deck sound effects on that meat, and then uh, serve it up. Here's the image in my head. Little kid gets on the elevator, hits all the buttons, and then we have to go to every floor. That's that's the mental. You having this toy at your disposal is, makes me think of that. Because you're going to be hitting a zip button. You're going to be hitting applause. That's going to be. I don't have zip. I do have applause and I have some laughter. So that's going to be. It was good. No, I was only. It, basically, I was going to be using salt and pepper. I wasn't going to be like emptying out the spice cabinet. <laughs> I wasn't going to be using thyme. Yeah. I wasn't going to be using rosemary or sage. Okay. Just a little salt. I, and we weren't going to be going to Salisbury Fair. Salisbury Scarborough Fair, you mean? No, Salisbury Fair. That's where they make the steaks. <laughs> okay. Are you going to Salisbury Sizzlers? <laughs> Are you going yes, to Bucky's later? What was the place that you guys went as kids that was like the place where you were like, oh shit, we're going out to eat tonight? I mean, this sounds sad, but we did, I didn't never really had that experience. I mean, I think the nicest place we would go to would be like Red Lobster. If that gives you yeah, that's end. what I'm talking about. I'm talking right, and it didn't happen often. But yeah. when it happened, it was like, oh shit, we're yeah. going to Red Lobster. Or yeah. did you guys, when you were a kid, did you ever go to Olive Garden? Very rarely. But you went. Jesus Christ, dude! You've shut down the part of your brain. The it's called the joy room. That joy room. If you were to go up to it right now, it'd be like you know, like when they board up the room because the zombies are coming. Yeah, that shit's boarded up, and dust has accumulated on it. And you're, I'm like, can we go in that room for a second and visit your childhood? And you're like, well, we could, but it's going to take a little bit of effort, and I'm not willing to put in that effort this morning. I mean, I had a happy childhood because kids find a way. Kids are really strong. But now, as a parent, when I think back about just some of the stuff that just the nature of my upbringing. Uh, I'd see it differently as an adult. We would go to Shoney's. I don't know if you know what Shoney's is. It's like a buffet. Of course I know Shoney's. Dude, Sh- Dude, Shoney's was the place to go on Sunday morning after some real heavy road partying back in the 90s. What did you look forward to as a kid? Not getting beaten right. was my favorite part. That didn't happen very often. But I would look forward to it. I would dream of the day when I, oh, maybe I'll make it through the day today without getting beaten. Oh, nope, didn't make it. Got beaten. Well, I must say, I didn't quite have it that bad. <laughs> I wasn't physically beaten as a kid. I wasn't really beaten. I was spanked. But I was, here's the way I was spanked, dude. Pants down. <laughs> so it couldn't, it couldn't be just like in public. In public, pants down. Wow. Spanking. What a move. And when you're a kid, first of all, at a certain point, you realize it's not cool. Like when you're a baby, it's okay to be walking around with no pants on. Mm -hmm. But at a certain point, you know, I don't know when it is, three, four, whenever you're hanging out with other kids and you're just walking around naked and the other kids are laughing at you. At that point and for the rest of your life, if you don't have pants on around people that you don't know well, you're going to feel bad. Because you don't want to have that shame laughter. What's the what's the purpose of the pulling the pants down? Is it a more pain, more contact? 
and B, public shame, public nudity shame? Is it a two pronged? Hold on, let me let me call it. Let me call it my past. Mm. Ring, ring. Oh hey, what's up? Hey, can I talk to my dad in 1978? No, actually, let's make that 1972. Okay, I'll hold. Hold, I'm holding. Okay. Oh, here's my dad. Hey, dad. 1972, dad. What's the deal with pulling my pants down when you spank me? Uh, okay, thanks. Uh, he says to get more contact, to get more skin contact. Right, right. Wow. I think that, I don't. I don't know how much cover the pants were giving you. All right, let me tell you something about my dad. By the way, there wasn't a single day in my entire. I'm going to say. There wasn't a single day up until the time I was 30 years old where my dad was, if I was at home and my dad was at home, there wasn't a single day before maybe 30, maybe 40, I don't know, but let's say 30, because 30 is 100% where I didn't see my dad's dick. <laughs> like my dad, my mom and dad, if there's a nude beach, they're going to the nude beach. That's their first stop. My dad, when I lived, I lived on this place. It was right on 45th Street, which is a really, like, congested road in Hyde Park. It's right next to the university. My dad would go out on my porch and sunbathe naked in front of, on a very, very busy street. Now, there was a bush. There was, like, a little hedge that was in front of that of that porch. Mm-hmm. But he was naked behind it, behind the, and there was no gate, nothing. Anyways, that's my dad. My dad, nudity, they were just always naked. They were, my parents were always naked in the house. Eventually, I think when I was a teenager, my dad got a robe, and the robe stopped right where his dick started. Right. So the upper part of his body was covered by the robe, and then the lower part was dick. He's wearing like a robe. Balls. He's wearing like a robe for a 10-year-old. Yeah. Dude, I have a picture of me. I'm in like college and he's standing next to me in a t-shirt, no pants. <laughs> and like oblivious to it. Have you talked doesn't to, care? Have you talked to your sister about that shared experience? And got No, here's the deal. It? Now I've become an extremely modest person. Like my wife, maybe she's seen me naked once, but it was by accident. Trust me, because I make a concerted effort to be real stealthy about my nudity. My son and daughter have never seen me naked. I used to poop when my kid was, you know, like one and two when he'd be taking a bath. When I was, I had to watch him, and that was like the only time I could poop. But even then, I was very your your kid will tell that story. By the way, that no, will be the story I, they no, tell. No, they won't because he doesn't even remember it. But but he does like, listen I would to be, the podcast. <laughs> I would be very. I was very like stealthy about it. I wasn't like, you know, I was I pooping. Know. Tubs real close to the toilet. It's not that close. It's on the other side of the room. But all I'm saying is, I came out of the whole experience being extremely modest. Mm -hmm. My sister, on the other hand, is kind of like my parents. <laughs> Her and her husband and her kids are all kind of like nudists. <laughs> they have no body shame, nothing. Like they don't think about it. Do you envy that? Yes, of course I do. Dude, I've always had this body shame that's ridiculous. 
Dude, I just watched this anorexia. I watched Intervention and they had an anorexic chick on there. And dude, this chick was skinny. And she was doing the thing where she was like, yeah, I could use, I could lose some more weight. I have I have fat on my belly. I have fat I have fat in my face. Dude, this chick was like 65 pounds. I've never seen anybody this skinny. She was 2 days from dying when they filmed it. But that's the way I, dude, at my skinniest, that's the way I was. At my skinniest, I was like, "Oh, I'm fat." I've never felt good about my body. Now, of course, I feel like I literally if you were to ask me, "What do you look like?" To other people, I would I would literally say the hunchback of Notre Dame. I feel like whenever I feel really bad and I'm like in a picture or something, I'm always like, oh, God damn it. But I've been on the merry-go-round long enough to know that, well, in five years, I'm going to look back at this picture and be like, wow, I was really thin then. So I try to just enjoy these moments because that's happened about 20,000 fucking times. Dude, every time I take a picture, I'm like, oh, I look old and fat. And then five years go by and I see that same picture and I'm like, I was looking so young. I know that's what I'm saying. You can email us Bob and Clint at gmail.com. We got some uh we got some shit going on over here in the email world that I need to do some housekeeping with. Dude, let's fucking break open that bag. Jed Moffat writes song club feedback. He says, Hey Bob and Clint, great show. Recently my friend and I started a song club based on your model. Thank you. It is very fun and motivating. Question. How would you advise giving feedback in a song club? Is it positive? Do you challenge each other? Are you ever critical or just selectively supportive of the elements you like in each other's songs? Thanks in advance for your thoughts, Jed. It's a good question, Jed. Great question. Great question. Um, I don't think of it as a critical exercise, writing songs. To me, the song club or the song game is, is only about having a deadline where you have to turn in the song, good, bad, or ugly. So... Because that's the case, I never do critical feedback on anybody, ever. Now, if a song's really good, I might go, I I liked your song this week. That's as far as it's going to go. But I'm never going to be like, hmm. But now, I will say this. If a song's really, really good, like hit good, I might go, hey, this song's so good, maybe you could tighten up like the second verse. Or something like that. But again, that happens so rarely. I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years now. I've probably done that five times. Because really, all it is, it's about making you... You know what it is? It's about the critical... It's about taming and conditioning the critical voice in your head to go in the corner and fucking curl up and shut the fuck up. Because the creative part is going to have fun and have fun right now and write a song. So that's what it's about. The critical part, I don't want to give that any, I don't want to put any muscles on that, on that guy. So yeah, no, I don't use it as critical exercise at all. It's just about writing songs and strengthening the creative part of you and taming the critical voice. Yeah, that's well said. I, I mean, I'm in a season now where I don't listen to anyone else's songs. You know, the song club for me is about me. It's about me getting to the finish line and me cracking the code every week and me rising to that challenge. But there have been times, though, where maybe not being critical, but like if someone's got a cool sound, 
Because a lot of the people in these groups now are kind of writer producers. And you get a lot of great sounds too, where I can reach out to someone and say, how'd you get that drum sound? Or how did you record that guitar? And it can be a, a great opportunity to, to learn. But in terms of like evaluating 20 songs a week, and I just think you got to figure out whatever your motivation is for being in the game. Because some people may be in a, Jed might be in a group where it's like, I want to get better and I don't know how to get better if people aren't giving me feedback. I don't know about that. But I'm not sure that's how you look at it. I don't look at it that way. First of all, there's no getting better at songwriting. You're always starting at zero. The only thing you can do in terms of improving your songwriting ability is what I said before, which is you have the creative part of you that does the writing. Then you have the critical part of you that does the fucking up of the writing. The critical part will come in and go, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. That voice needs to go away. Now, heroin will remove that voice. Cocaine might remove the voice or make the critical voice so loud. I mean, make the playful voice so loud that the critical voice doesn't know what to do. Can't get in a word edgewise. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a big drug guy and I haven't used drugs in a long time. So all I know is that when I start writing, the critical part of my brain is shut off for the most part. So the best thing you can do, again, don't try to write a good song. Because if you're trying to write a good song, you're inviting the critic in to decide, is this good or bad? You don't want that. You just want to have fun. Just have fun. If you're in there to write a song and it has to be a certain thing, you're not going to have fun. Here's what I would say to that. I 100% I agree with everything you're saying. And I think that's hard for some people, maybe who especially are kind of new at it. But here's the deal. And here's the power of the song club is putting in the fucking time. Because let's say you are a guy that's like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit down and try to write a great song. I'll see you in 50 songs, baby. Oh, I'll see you in 150 songs. Because if you do the work and you do it consistently, 150 songs later, that's gone. It has to be. You can't do that for 150 songs in a row. If you're trying to, if I'm trying to write a good song, like for instance, like if there's a phrase one week and it's a good phrase, I'm like, oh, this phrase is so good. I'm going to write a great song with this phrase. Oh my God. Nothing stops me in my tracks faster than that. Now, if it's a shitty phrase, I'm like, ah, this phrase sucks. I'm never going to be able to write a song with this. I always write a good song that way. Right. Because part of me kind of has given up trying to write a good song. As soon as I've given up writing a good song, then I'm just writing a song. I'm having fun. I'm letting that creative part of my brain like run around inside my brain and just skip and jump and laugh and not give a fuck. No, no robe. And if the robe's on, the robe stops right above the dick. <laughs> but it's an interesting- The creative part of me, uh, right. of me doesn't worry about its dick. Right, you're out on that ledge or you're out on that porch and the hedges are might be covered up your dick. Maybe not, but there's no gate. And Dude, there's, there's no, no gate. On. There's no hedges. It's just me, dick abounding, dick all over the place. But there's just something about doing it consistently that tends to take care of some of these problems. And most people cannot do it, dude. I see it every week. I'm in three groups right now. And every week- That's two groups too many. And every week, there's a handful of people who barely got it in or who have some excuse for why they didn't do it. 
And the people, people drop like flies from these groups because it's a very hard thing to do. But if you find a way to crack into it and do it, everything we're talking about happens to you. Because the, the, the time of it just beats all that out. We talked we talk with me, you know, you and I have talked about my crap. Like, I was wanting to write that Ryan Adams song, the song that sounded like Ryan Adams songs. Well, a hundred of those later, and that's gone. Because I can't do it anymore. It, and it took the time, you know? It just took the time. Right. You, get, well, you, you take a creative person and put them on a, the other side of a hundred songs, that's a different writer. Because you put that time in. It's just, that's just a fact. Well, you're definitely going to, at, at a certain point, now, there are exceptions to this rule. But at a certain point, you're going to try to want to write something different. Yeah. Hopefully. I mean, I'm always, I'm always trying to write something different. Right. Now, I feel like if you have a lot of musical information, it's really hard to do that. Now, I have a limited amount of information and I think that helps me. Meaning what because the instruments if, that you have the tools you have access to? Right, because I don't know what I'm doing. If I'm if I play this, I don't know what the I don't know what I played. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what that is. But if you know what you just played, you're like, oh yeah, that's a D7 sus right. followed by an A minor, and that's a four. So that's the two five thing. And then you know, like, because you know it, you know where that fits and how common that is, or whatever. But if you don't know anything, you're just going, "Oh, I like the way that sounds." Yeah, the knowledge can be limiting, like nothing I've ever done before. Yeah, yeah, you're just if you don't know anything, you're just listening. But if you know stuff, then you're not listening anymore. And again, you're in your head, you're thinking, you're being critical of it because you're like, "Oh, that's just that's just a one four five or whatever the fuck." You know? Yeah, I agree with that too. What, knowing too much can get in the way. I, I find something helpful for me is I wait till the last minute. So I don't have any time to overthink it. This is what's coming. This is what it's going to be. Bye. Send it. Bye. Yeah. I find that well, There's lots of things you can do. Like I'll I'll ask my daughter to to write some lines. I'll ask her like, what's the, what does the dragon wear? And then she'll say something. I'm like, I'm going to use that in my song and start with that. Yeah, that's that's cool too. Inspiration from the kiddos. I do want to say thank you to a couple of new patrons, by the way, uh, Andrea V and Alex Arredondo, and Zachary Burkhalter, who I recognize from the Middle of Your Podcast world. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. I appreciate it. And Andrea V says, "Hall of No Weenies" was the ladies' only scab show. I remember because it was on a school night and I was pissed I couldn't go. We were talking about a scab show where only ladies were there. I guess you called it Hall of No Weenies. <laughs> One of my favorite shows I've ever done. So the morning show guys, Dale and Bob and, and Dale Dudley, wanted to do a radio show with the scabs. And the whole the whole idea was no guys allowed, just women. Dude, that show was the most fun show I've ever played. Yeah. Just having women in the audience – the air, like the vibe and the energy is so great. They make the world go round, baby, for me. I I agree. There's something about that energy. Dude, speaking of ladies, guess what just started? The new season of The Bachelor, boy. So Jed has another question t- related to that. He says, hey, Bob, what do you make of that big opening talk between the new Bachelor and Chris Harrison? And who are looking like the strong contenders? Do you think we'll finally see love prevail? And is it just me or does the guy remind you of a Marvel superhero? 
So here we go in the last few minutes. Let's get some of this Bachelor talk happening. All right. Well, here's, I don't know, man. That that opening talk with Chris and the new Bachelor was sketchy, to say the least. So the, the new Bachelor's uh, black. So it's like, I think his mom's hmm. white and his dad's black or something. Sold. So <laughs> why, why is that canceled? That's just what it is. So- well, I'm colorblind personally. So they wanted to address that like before it even started. So you're a black guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, so they Well, they they start off the show with it and What's it's, to address? I exactly. So you're black. Uh yeah. Guess what they don't do? If the guy's white, which he's been white every do they, time. Do they, they don't his like whiteness? go, "Hey, by the way, you're the 27th white bachelor we've had." So that was sketchy. Wow. For sure. Now, wow. do I like the new bachelor? Absolutely. Do I like him less and less each? I've watched three episodes now. I, the first episode, I was like, oh, this is my favorite Bachelor in probably six years. The second episode, I'm like, okay, okay. And then by the third episode, I'm like seeing all the chinks in the armor with this guy. Um, he's cool. There's some hot chicks, man. The The way it works now on Bachelor, like if you can get on that show – Win, lose, or draw, you're going to have this huge following on social media, and you just become a social media influencer, and you can make money. Hmm. So it's now sort of a career path for women. So there's just hot kind of career-motivated women on that show. I feel like the bubble on that's got to burst at some point. It has to. I was looking at other podcasts today. I don't know why. Some chicks... Who who's the chick who does nailed it? That chick. She has this podcast about how she's fat. It's called like I'm sing always single or something. Right. And I was like, oh great, another TV person started a fucking podcast where they just interview their famous friends. Like, how many of those are there gonna be? And one of her guests was Conan O'Brien. And I thought, out of all the celebrities in the world, I probably like him almost the most. He'd be in like a top ten of people I find funny and interesting. But it, instead of feeling excited to hear whatever that hour long combo was, I just felt exhausted. And when's the bubble going to burst on all that? There's too much information. I remember when it'd be like, oh, David Lynch did an interview. I wonder what he said. I've never heard him talk about his movies. Now everyone has talked about everything so much. There's no mystery. Everyone does podcasts. Dude, all of my friends do podcasts. Most of my friends have more than one. I have two. All right. What are you saying? I'm just well, saying, here's, here's I'm just saying now, and now the people who are on The Bachelor and even the people who don't win it become influencers, and then they have six million Instagram followers, and they build a TikTok following. When's the bubble going to burst on all the content? There's no bursting of the bubble because people are going to, I mean, we for sure have, I mean, if we're, I was going to like rate our podcast in terms of how great it is mm-hmm. compared to all other podcasts, I would say we're in the top five. Of all podcasts made. Now, do we have the top five audiences of podcast popularity? No. Is that going to stop us from creating the coolest podcast we can? No. Uh, so there's no there's no bursting of the bubble because everybody has these niche audiences and uh, that will find them. And uh, that's just the way it is. Anyways, Bachelor, new season, it's great. Uh, I will watch every second of it. Every once in a while, I do skip through some of the dates. The day dates, the one-on-one day dates, I usually skip through and get to the dinner where they actually start talking about real stuff. I skip through portions of it as, as well, larger portions than you, but 
called every season I, I'm also, every show. I'm also skipping parts of The Bachelor, yeah. But once again, I it's it's as if I'm watching it because I get to hear about it on my podcast and check in with the new Black Bachelor. They had a nice racist meeting about it, and uh, you liked him, but he's starting to, the cracks in the armor are appearing. Some hot bitches on there. Sounds like some good TV. Oh, I watched that WandaVision. Is that good? It's pretty wild, man. It's pretty weird. It's very... Do you know what the premise is? Yeah. It's it's Vision and some chick I've never heard of called Wanda. But I don't know anything about them. So there are some Marvel fucking disposable superheroes who could, I couldn't give a fuck. No, the Vision is not a disposable... He's an Avenger, and he's a huge part of the Avenger they're all the, They're all the same to me, and I couldn't give a fuck. But... Right. It's set like a 50s family, and it's, so it's like built like 50s TV. It's like I Love Lucy. Yeah, I've seen the trailer for it. So it's bunch. very strange. It's very surreal and strange and like scary. And that is interesting. It's like how The Boys is kind of surreal and scary. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. I, I just haven't gotten around to it. It makes me happy that people are doing that. And they're going back old school where they're not releasing every episode at once. So they're, they're, they're doing like old school TV. So yeah, every, I'll probably week. wait. I'll probably wait until the whole thing's out and then start watching it. I hate waiting. Right. I'd much rather wait until the end of the season than watch the whole thing. Right. I get that. I I, I tried to do that on the Mandalor- Mandalorian, but I was so excited to see it. I, I I started watching it early and then I regretted it because I had to wait to watch the other episodes. All right, we're done. Let's get out of here. Oh, thanks, boy. everybody. Thanks, thanks, all the Patreon people. Thanks for listening, even if you're not a Patreon people, but not as much thanks as to the Patreon people. Um, check out Clint's podcast, Metal Up Your Podcast. Uh, Metal Up Your Ass, motherfucker podcast. Uh, Clint does it with another dude who's not as funny or as cool as me, but it's still fucking great. I, I've, I listen to it a lot. Uh, you don't have to be a Metallica fan. You just have to like clint and what he does check that out check out my other uh podcast song club and uh we'll see you next time bye bye